Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Good afternoon and welcome to Stem Cells at Lunch Digested. My name is Davide Danovi and we have here Sami Varmada who gave a seminar with us today. Welcome Sami. Thank you. Um, Sami Varmada is a professor at the University of Michigan Ann Arbor and he has developed um, iPS-derived model of uh, ALS and other um, frontotemporal dementia and other um, neurodegenerative diseases, um, and he came to present uh, to us today. So, Sami, what is uh, um, your work? Can you digest uh, the topic of your work to a lay audience, please? Uh, I'd be happy to. So, um, as Davide mentioned, we are particularly interested in two diseases, um, these are both lethal diseases, and they affect people when they're fairly young. They can affect people in their 60s um, or earlier. And both of them are currently untreatable, and we have no effective treatments, no cures. So one of them is something called ALS, or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Um, it was the focus of the ice bucket challenge a few years ago, um, and it it is a condition where you gradually lose the ability to use your muscles and usually fatal within a matter of years. The other condition is very different on the face of it. It's called frontotemporal dementia um, as opposed to most dementias that we know of where you lose memory. In this condition, you typically show um, changes in behavior, or personality, or language. You lose the ability to speak. So while these look very different, Clinically, we think that if you look inside the brain, that they're very similar to one another. And this gives us the opportunity. If we can develop a treatment for one, it may be just as effective for the other. So we think we can impact both diseases. Okay, so there's a clear translational ultimate remit uh, to your research. Is this the drive? What, what, what wakes you up in the morning? What keeps you out of bed? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. I mean, one, I, I'm a neurologist, and so I, I see people with dementia, and and I can see firsthand how devastating these diseases are and, and the fact that we, we just don't have very much to offer people. The other uh, side of the coin is um, part of the reason why we don't have very much to offer people is we just don't understand why these conditions arise. And so in the past, I'd say 10 years, there's been an explosion of information, particularly in terms of genetics in these particular conditions and, and I think that gives us a very unique opportunity to mix what we know about genetics with some of the emerging technologies um, in neuroscience and in microscopy and in genetics to try to you know, make an impact in these conditions and so that, that is really what motivates me. So in your talk there was also a reference to uh, kind of a serendipitous discovery in a sense where an antibody that you used didn't work and actually you found out that it was it was the epitope uh, present in the end of the C-terminal that would uh, depend and this kind of led to... A so my question is how much the sort of uh, the, the pure research uh, um, question uh, trigger your intellectual uh, curiosity and, and how, how does this fit in the sort of goal of sort of making an impact? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question, a great point because it's a couple of times now, we have just been very interested in a basic biological question. 
and and in this case, um, you know, my student had a very unusual observation, and and we could have made the decision just to brush it by and move on, um, but we we sort of took the time to try to figure out why she saw what she saw, and I think it was a it's it may lead to a very exciting um, discovery. Um, so, I think there's a lot to gain by by just stopping and, and asking why rather than kind of moving on to the, the big picture all the time but trying to just dot those I's, cross those T's and really try to figure out what is going on and, and this happens again and again I mean this is what happened in cancer so probably 20, 30 years ago where people really backed up and started asking the most basic questions and, and it wasn't until recently that those answers to those basic questions have really been translated into groundbreaking discoveries in the biologicals, so a lot of these antibodies directed against cancer-specific antigens, and, and I think it's made a, a huge impact in cancer. Okay, so just to conclude, could you say something to the person who's now just about to develop a blot uh, that <laughs> would probably lead to something inexplicable and, uh, like, kind of, how, how, would, you, how would you keep uh, some young scientists... Uh, uh, yeah, something that would, would help them, but also some something that could give a sense to um, um, one of our listeners who is considering a research in, uh, like like a future in research. Like, what what do you need to do in order to to be successful in the long run and yeah. not not to not to be discouraged by? I mean, I wish <laughs> I knew the answer to that question, uh, but I can tell you my my sort of perspective on this and and. I really believe that too often people, we have a preconceived notion of what should happen or shouldn't happen because, I don't know, maybe we read it in a book or maybe we just think that's the way the world should be. But in as much as is possible to keep an open mind, and even though you may, this is what you think is going to happen, be very open to the possibility that you are 100% wrong and there is an alternative explanation. and, and don't become fixed to any one concept or idea. Well, thank you very much. We'll, we'll end with this. And uh, to all of you, um, to the next time at Stem Cells Lunch Digested. Thank you very much, Sammy. You're welcome.